0: Hey Logo Geeks, it's Ian Paget here and this week I'm joined by Diego Vinusman, where we discuss his book, The Importance of Context When Designing a Logo, Tips from Teaching Design and his experience with the Type Directors Club too. But before we get into that, I want to talk briefly to those of you listening who want to work as a freelance designer, or those who already are working as a freelance designer, but you really want to up your game. You'll likely have questions about finding clients, contracts, proposals, project management, all the stuff that you need to know to really succeed as a designer. Well, I want to encourage you to go and check out Michael Jander's freelancing course because it's incredibly good. It's probably the best course that I've ever personally purchased and even though I've been freelancing for a few years now and worked within a design agency for uh, over 10 years I still learned a lot from this course. So the first module of that which will help you prepare to go freelance is actually free and if you do take that, that will uh, show you the quality of the content. But the full six course bundle, which I advise to go and check out, covers everything from finding clients to managing your creative business. There's over 40 hours of video lessons in this, and you'll also be able to download proposal templates, contract templates, pricing systems and strategies, uh, project management templates and much more. This course has literally everything that you need to run your creative business profitably and enjoyably. So like I said the first part of that is free but the full set of six courses are currently discounted down to only $400 plus Taxes, but I promise you that it will be one of the best investments that you'll ever make. And through everything that you'll learn within that course, you'll quickly make that money back and much more over your career. Knowledge like this is an incredible investment. Uh, So it's worth looking at this type of thing. Michael Jander has actually been on the podcast before twice now. He's one of very few guests that I've got on more than once. And in my opinion, he is the best design educator out there here today. So I really believe that that course is worth every penny. So if you want to go and check out Michael Jander's freelancing course, head to logogeek.uk forward slash freelance. Now for transparency, there is an affiliate link. So if you do purchase the course via that link, I will receive a commission. And that would go to help support the ongoing production of this podcast and the Facebook group as well. So again, if you want to go and check that out and support this podcast in the process, head to logogeek.uk forward slash freelance. So as mentioned, this week I'm joined by Diego Vinasman. I actually stumbled across Diego after searching through Kickstarter one evening. Um, I'm not actually sure what I was looking for, but I did a search and I came across a book called Logo, the Face of Branding. This is a book that aims to answer the questions that Diego's students had about logo design by asking the designers who created those logos. And this was a project that was sadly already funded back in February. So I couldn't actually back the project or purchase the book, but I still watched the video. I still read the information and it was enough to spark my interest to learn a little bit more about the author of this new logo book. So I did a search. I found Diego's details I reached out to him and he kindly agreed to join me on this podcast to discuss his book and to talk logo design. Diego currently runs his own design agency 40N47 Design which he works on with his wife but he also teaches typography at the Masters of Visual Narrative at the School of Visual Arts in New York. He was also the first Latin president of the type directors club. In 2014, he was invited to teach logo design workshops in Spain, but the list of countries has expanded, taking him to teach logo design in cities all around the world. So there's a lot that we can learn from Diego. So in this interview, we start by discussing the book and the lessons learned We also chat about his experience teaching design, where Diego shares some of the common mistakes he sees from his students when they design logos and how you can avoid doing the same. And we end the interview learning a little bit more about the Type Directors Club too. But the really important part of this discussion and something I want to draw attention to is when we start to discuss the importance of context in design. I see a lot of logo designs all incredibly well executed, but sometimes I question if they're actually right for the business. So understanding the context of the business and getting that across in the design successfully is what differentiates good design from successful design and if you can bridge that gap between image and context then you'll be able to design logos that not only look great but perform successfully for your clients too. So I really hope that segment of the discussion will be helpful for you. So let's get into this. Here is the interview with Diego Vinusman. I found out about you through Kickstarter because you released the book, Logo, the Face of Branding, uh, where you've answered many questions from students about logos by asking the designers that worked on those logos. Um, I'm sure with the podcast, we probably have spoken to some similar people. Uh, but anyway, so my first question about this is, are you able to share with us some of the insights that you've Learn from speaking with so many logo designers for this book
1: yes uh, first of all i'd like to thank you for making me part of this of your, the logo geek family ian thank you so oh, much. you're very
0: me. welcome thank and you. thank you for coming on it's uh, really <laughs> great to speak to you <laughs>
1: thank you so this is the thing the kickstarter book was a great tool to get many of the students being answered by the designers what was more interesting is that because of that, those questions, sometimes those questions develop into some other more interesting questions that I got to ask these designers. What happened is the book is I interview designers and type designers from all over the world. Just to give you an example, like uh, here in the States, I interview Paula Sher, Louis Philly, Ed Benget, and then I wanted really to go global And I asked Mehdi Sari from Iran, Saki Mafundikwa from Zimbabwe, from Germany, Hubert Hosham from Japan, Takusatko, Mexico, Gabriel Martinez-Miavi, and so on, like for other 30 30 different countries. And um, by asking the basic questions from the students, then I ended up asking some more questions like, there were socio political situations in their countries and in relationship to design. For example, I got to ask Pepe Jimeno, he lives in Spain, that in a country that is divided 50 and 50% about bullfighting, how was it to design a logo for a bullfighting arena? What did people think about it? Then I asked Ricardo Rousselot in Barcelona, uh, would he consider that designers shouldn't work for politically incorrect clients knowing that he, de- he his client is called smoking. Also, I asked somebody in Russia, Yuri Ostromensky, the importance of the media during Putin's time. So what started with the basic questions from the students about what's, what's the way you create your logos, you design, you develop ideas, stuff like that. I started asking that, but then it, it was so interesting, the life of each one of these designers that I wanted to go even deeper and ask some more of the social issues with them.
0: Sounds absolutely fascinating. I mean, some of those names, I haven't heard of them. And uh, what I like about what you're doing is that you are really looking... Global, so from a reference point of view uh for this podcast i'm gonna have to you know speak to you um uh, for some recommendations and maybe get some of the people that you spoke to on this podcast as well to share some of those stories with my audience
1: that would be fantastic i have 40 people waiting for you
0: ah uh, brilliant <laughs> got a nice long queue that would be amazing yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i can imagine one of the key things that you was looking at I, I understand that you you explored lots of different things and uh obviously people can go and check out your book once it's released to the world um in terms of design process by doing this podcast I've heard so many different approaches like I, I found most people that I speak to there are some overlapping things that they might do but in general every designer tends to have their own unique design process so having been uh, a teacher of design and having interviewed all these designers from a process point of view what would you see as like the most effective or what are there any interesting approaches that you've seen uh, from a process point of view through speaking with so many different people?
1: I, I think that the for my own personal work and from what I heard from other people is each one is going to custom tailor, let's say, what's an established template for doing this. Kind of like, you know, for example, the first thing you're always going to, do when when you're going to design a logo is you need to know the client's business. You need to get a design brief, a white paper from the client. So that's step number one. Then to me, one one that is very, very crucial, and I think that this is one that, and I'm speaking on behalf of students, what students lack is a a lot of the research. They just go to Google and they find a nice picture or a nice word and they start basing it on that. And I think that that's the crucial point here because you have to do the research in the industry. What do they do? Where are are they? Who are the competitors? Then the next step to me is to come up with three different ideas. And I emphasize three because I don't think that none of us is Paul Rand, who had the luxury of just showing one idea and that was it. I think that we have to create three ideas. And the main reason why I'm doing this with the students is because sometimes, when for the first class, when they come with comps for the class, for, for the first log, the sketches for the first logo, uh, let's talk in the abstract. One comes up with three different triangles. And I say to them, listen, if your client doesn't like triangles, you lost your client. So you need to bring a triangle, a square. In a circle, as ideas. So that's something that I'm trying to to brainwash the students with that. And after that, you know, you you do the sketches, then you work on the logo, and you have the per- presentation, and then revision. So I think that basically there are like two crucial points to me. Point number two: the research on who the client is, and the concept of the three ideas that are the most important ones.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah I totally agree I've had debates on the the podcast about this before or well, conversations not not really debates about it but um, I've spoken to people that present uh, one idea I've spoken to people that present like three or four I've also spoken to people like uh, Aaron Draplin he sometimes presents like 200 options which <laughs> I think is a bit over the top but yeah I'm I'm in agreement with you that it's important to present options. I am personally going down the route of sharing the process of how I got to what I believe is the most effective solution. But even through that process in in the presentation, I'm showing multiple directions and why I would advise one direction. But I, I agree with you. I think it's important to share more than one idea because... i I think it's good to get the client to feel like they've been involved in that process rather than feeling like they've been forced into a a corner
1: (laughs) also also, let's be realistic you know many times uh, the designers we consider like it's not a bohemian life what we're doing this is commercial art and if you really want to keep the client happy you have to show them a few different versions like you just said before you don't want them to just put something deep into their throat saying you have to pick that idea and that's it you have to show some you know that you can show show them different things
0: yeah i i know personally even hearing the strong arguments for showing one option even now i would always show more than one option even if it's through um guiding them through like the thought process just so that they can have some involvement in it and um yeah, hopefully you, you understand what I mean.
1: You know, I, and, and I agree with you. Like kind of like out of the three ideas, there is one of them that you're going to like the most and you have to go for it. One thing that I learned uh, it was that do never, ever show something that you don't, you're not really happy about it because that's the one that the client is going to pick. And that's the one that you're going to have to be working for them for the next two years. So... Always show something that you like.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I can totally relate with that. You know, um, I recently, I mentioned on the podcast last time, I was lucky enough to work with the University of Cambridge, which is like the biggest project I've ever done. Wow. And um, I put together a number of different options and I presented each one individually. And then what I do at the end of the presentation, I show three options all together. So I, I present each one individually. And then I end with the three options. And uh, there was one I was really trying to push. And (laughs) although I was happy with all three options, they picked the weakest one. But Uh. um, thankfully, I was able to step back because I'm like, this is the biggest project I've ever worked on. I want this to be good. <laughs> so thankfully, I was able to step back and and develop it further. And actually, it did turn into the strongest option in the end. But yeah, never show yeah. anything you're not happy with. I, I totally agree with that.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Now, in terms of these steps, so you mentioned like the three key things. So making sure that you do your research, which I... I strongly support and I've done podcasts on that before um that I can link to in the show notes um we mentioned about developing a number of different ideas and then uh you mentioned presentation yeah has there been any interesting approaches that you come across for presenting logos to clients
1: it actually not really interesting I, I think that the you know my My native language is Spanish, so I feel very comfortable in Spanish and not that you know I can do it in English too. But I think that um, when I first moved to this country, I didn't speak to the States, I didn't speak the language. And I always had to make my design very, very strong for me not to have to sell it with words. So the, the design itself had to sell. And then I got comfortable with that in a way that my presentations are basically... You know, it, I could have two paragraphs based on why it's important and, the you know, why it's important your, the client, what do they do, and to be romantic about it in a way. But then it's all basically like the color, the typography, the shapes, and the different things. I'm, be, I'm being very pragmatic with what I'm selling because I, I don't want to surround the client with many words that then... when the, they, they have the PDF of my presentation on their desk they start thinking what is this? Mm-hmm. So I think that the design has to speak for itself
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned that you support the, like those images with, like a couple of paragraphs just to give some kind of context.
1: Yeah I, yeah yeah, it's basically to explain what is the, the concept coming from like what does it remind you? Why do you think that the client should go this direction and why is it important? and you know and he he create analogies and symbols and things for them but i i don't bombard them with too many things so by the end when they have the pdf with themselves probably all of these words are gone and they have this paper in front of them and they have to see oh do i like it Mm -hmm. do i don't i like it what's the reason why
0: yeah yeah well i've i found any time i've done like a pdf presentation a lot of clients don't always read anyway. Like they, mm. uh, yeah. I find lo, logo design is an interesting thing, and it's um, no matter what process I've used, and and no matter how much I've learned about it, it's always very hard to step away from that initial subjective feeling towards something. Like if mm. if a client doesn't like it, no amount of <laughs> explanation or or explaining will convince them otherwise um but yeah i mean i've i've looked into different ways of trying to bring the person in to look at it objectively like i i start with goals and i reference back to those goals but beyond that most of the time anyway people are looking at the aesthetics of what you've shown and there is always that they like it or they don't like it (laughs) no matter what you can do
1: yeah, like you just said, regardless of what you say, if they don't like it, you know, I, I don't know how much could you sell the logo to some. Well, you, you could, of course, but in the way I do it, is I, I just want the logo to speak for itself.
0: Yeah. Well, I know even like if you, if you look back historically, uh, the Nike logo, the Chase Bank logo, there's been a few others. A lot of the time, the client doesn't like it initially. So the, the Nike logo, I think he said something like, that will do for now <laughs> <laughs> as feedback. And I know the Chase Bank owner, there's some interesting stories that Shemaya from Guizman have even shared where um, I, I think it might there might have been someone in the company that was keen to do it. But the actual CEO was saying, I hate this. I never want to see it. I don't want anything to do with this and I think the like a, a few months later they went into the bank and this owner that hated this thing yes. once the associations have started to connect this guy was proud of it like he apparently had it on his tie he had cuff slinks <laughs> with it it's it's funny so <laughs> I agree For uh, yeah so for anyone listening that has this problem it's it's happens to everybody (laughs) including pentagram including like to my guys Have having It's sadly part of the job (laughs) and
1: being moving a little bit to the side of this situation it gets even worse now when you're talking to the client and you do a presentation and they show you their ipad of what their spouse has done and they do (laughs) like to mimic something like that and you're like wait a second where am i so it's a whole new game, basically, today also
0: yeah, yeah <laughs> so i'm I'm keen to also talk about idea generation because I think that's something I haven't read your book for for listeners um uh, so so that they're aware, but watching the the video on Kickstarter, it looked like some of the designers had shared some interesting thoughts or or but behind the scenes of where the ideas came from for those logos was there any interesting or unusual approaches for coming up with ideas because I think that's one of the hardest things a lot of the time for people that are new to logo design coming up with a good idea
1: well actually I I was trying to get into the good ideas for the logo and everything and I as I said before uh, all these other issues like Geographies, the, you know, the the place, the the political issues and stuff like that. Uh, I found them more interesting than, and and they not many people were telling me about their ideas about the book. Maybe I misguided people saying, "Where do ideas come from?" And that's not really what ended up happening in the book. Like uh, I didn't know where the ideas came from, but the uh, you know I was. Learning more about the design, the design situation in Iran or in Germany or you know some spirituality in Japan. So I, I have to admit, I don't have the answer to where do ideas come from mm-hmm. from these mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. It's not in my book, so don't buy it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I am curious. So with the book, you. You've mentioned that you've spoke to these designers about the situation in their country, how that's influencing them in in some way. What what was it that you found out from any particular one of them that could make for an interesting conversation? Now, because it's <laughs> it's not something it's not it's not what I would have asked them personally. Yeah, and I'm just curious, like wh- why why did you choose to go down that direction and? and and I'm just curious, was there any like spark of like, yeah. ah, that's I, where that, why that's that way?
1: <laughs> the, the reason why is I I, 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 at that moment, I believe that I had a unique chance to ask people from these countries things that we never know. Basically, like uh, what I said before, like the bullfighting arena, the smoking, the situation in Russia. And, you know, and I have my Bookshelves here. I have all these books with all these fantastic books about logos with these great designers answering all these questions about uh, where do the ideas come from. And and I get the idea, but I haven't found a book, I have to say, that gets deeper into the questions I ask them. Like I, I even ask, ask them ahead of time, I say, would you mind answering these questions? I don't want to put you on the spot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. in Spain and in the world, when everybody's, it's one of the largest tradition to have bullfighting for this designer to have to design a logo for an, for a, an arena. A, how do they do it? So I found, I find I, somehow I found it more interesting to get into these kind of topics and subjects than asking where do your ideas come from? When, when you get uh, people all this global book from people from all over the world I, I found it like like for example I asked this uh, Nelson Ponce in Cuba I say he he designed a, a logo for a website and I'm thinking well correct me if I'm wrong but who has a, who has who, who gets access in Cuba to you know to the to the to the internet and stuff like that so that's what intrigued me more than... Where, where do your ideas come from?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I do think it's relevant because um, I, I did an episode uh, a couple of months back about semiotics and where meaning comes from and the associations come from. And as designers, even though a lot of what we're creating is um, aesthetic, so it's, it's a visual thing, In terms of the choices that we make, a lot of that is related with the environment that we're in and the world around us and the associations of everything. So actually having more of an understanding of what kind of world that person lives in, yeah, can probably help to better understand some some of the reasons why they might have chosen to take things in certain directions. Um, one example that comes to mind, um, you mentioned Louise Feely. She's yeah. been on the podcast before. Uh, she's Italian, and you really see that in a lot of her work and you can see that she's been influenced by uh the art and the typography of places like um well places in italy like she's, she's obviously researched it studied it and and that has heavily influenced her work and if she wasn't born in italy and she didn't grow up in italy and have that uh, stereotypical love of food in Italian <laughs> she probably uh, yeah. wouldn't be working for food brands, restaurant brands and have the look and feel of the art that that she does so actually having more of an understanding of where they come from is actually quite interesting
1: no it's it's yeah i agree hundred percent with you your own your own ethnicity or your own travelings around the world are where your ideas gonna come from basically knowing people from other cultures so that's that's why i, I skipped the that question to them
0: yeah yeah i i do understand and i'm just going to fire another example out this was quite a few years now but i i went for a drink with um someone who was a teacher at the local uh college so he was teaching between like 10 15 year olds you know quite uh young mm. yeah teenagers yeah and uh he we started talking about these ideas and uh i I think he just threw like a brief at me for some kind of like cafe and i started to describe what i would do and i think i i started to mention colors and like typography and all this sort of stuff and he stopped me and said ian where has that come from (laughs) and then i started to think about it and i am like well when I went on this trip and I drove through France, I, we went into this place and there was this, (laughs) you know, I started to describe what I saw and, and the things that I was interacting with. And he said, that's the issue, Ian. These kids that I'm teaching, they haven't been outside of like Manchester. They've, they've lived in Manchester. They grew up in Manchester and that's their life. They haven't, gone out there and experienced these things they haven't seen the things that i've seen so in terms of having that uh mental memory you know the yeah those those things to draw from for for the people that he's teaching it's very hard so as a designer and I think it's kind of what you'll probably get into in, in the book by researching this, is that the the only way that we can really solve problems is by actually experiencing a lot of what's happening within culture.
1: I, ag- I agree 100% with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I know in terms of teaching so you have a course or i believe it's a course and correct me if i'm wrong but it's called type bridging image and context yeah at the masters of visual narrative at the school of visual arts and that particular title is interesting and it's somewhat relevant to what i just mentioned um because a lot of the time on uh in facebook groups or online I see a lot of designers that will pretty much take the name of the company and create something without understanding the business, without ha- having any of that underlying context. <laughs> yeah. And for, for me, it's something that's just self-explanatory. So I, I, I understand why you need to use context uh, and bridge image to really solve problems. But I, I think for the audience, for people that don't know what, context means and and why it's so important would you mind sharing like why is it important and why do you feel the need to teach this particular topic with that headline
1: (laughs) okay but before answering the question i'd like to give the the audience the idea of what is the whole class about Um, this is a master where the minority of the students are designers most of them are artists and writers or maybe I should say they're amazing artists with amazing stories. And these are the, they're all storytellers. They're the storytellers of the future. The purpose of this typography class wasn't for them just to bring beautiful drawings, but for them to understand that it is not the same to design something for the north or the south of Peru or the cities in the mountains or the cities at the ocean. The purpose is for them to do research where the context of learning becomes more important. And, you know, within context, I would say that there are different interact- interacting factors that form part of the context. For example, the culture, the geography, the environment, the technology, and of course, some other things. Without knowing some of these factors, without knowing the context, your design could be You know, it could still look like very, very nice, but at the end, it's not going to be appropriate to the right client. So that's what what I'm trying to talk about context, kind of like do not do for me something very, very beautiful unless it has a concept that is based on the context of the client. Mm -hmm. I don't know Mm -hmm. if I was clear or not there. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: And I'm kind of, um, I got a big grin on my face this end because (laughs) um, you've described that, so well and I, I think this this is one of the things that's quite challenging for some to understand even people that are critiquing work that you, you can create something that looks beautiful that yeah looks, that that's perfectly executed it's flawless artwork but the question is it appropriate so you you mentioned about uh, creating like a poster for a specific area yeah and that's easy to understand so if you're creating a poster for a specific location and it's supposed to represent that that location then it's easy to know whether that's right or wrong and although we're talking about a typography based poster the exact same thing is right for logo design yeah that any logo that you design you need to question not is it good artwork everything that you do should be good artwork that's something that I believe that you learn quite quickly the the harder thing is to find the most appropriate solution for the challenge that that you have so for the business and and there's lots of layers to this but basically you need to know the context in order to create the most effective solution And that's relevant for both designers that are designing and also designers that are giving feedback to other people. You can say something looks nice and it's well executed, but that should be a given. The question should be, is this appropriate based on the context of this project?
1: No, not only I agree with you, but basically uh, to some of my students, I say to them, listen, you're also competing with logos that are being sold in the internet for $25 and that they look beautiful, but they have nothing to do with the client so you have to show your client why your logo not only is beautiful but it it has all this backup context and concept behind so we're we're in complete agreement on this
0: Mm -hmm. and uh, since we're on this topic and it's something that you teach is there any tips or advice that you can give to help listeners solve this more effectively
1: well i mean it's it's based on what i answered before about the the process, like to me, you have to research, research, and research. And many people are very lazy and they, they just go to Google and they find two words and they describe it and they base... No, you have to do plenty of research on that. That's basically my my my, my first and only advice. I mean, yeah, there are many other things probably, but the, I, I always say just do your know, research the right way and figure out why, what's the difference between your client your product your design with the competition and then the, it's going to come much much stronger than doing something very very generic you know in the and i'm going to get away from the theme subject a little bit
0: yeah it's, it's fine don't worry
1: during the 40s here in the states and i'm sure over there too you know the, you had in marketing something called a unique selling point I don't know if you're familiar with that.
0: Yes, yeah, a USP. Yeah, yeah,
1: the USP, which for the audience, I could say it it, it was like the marketing strategy to inform customer about how your product was superior to its competitors. And that's something that I always try to emphasize with my students, like, show me why your product is stronger or different than than the other ones by being unique. And then I base that with, logos. So what do I do is this. Uh, I teach workshops. I go to many different countries teaching workshops uh, about logos. And the the subject is always, I, I have them design Olympic logos. And when I have them design the Olympic logos, I show them all the existing logos for the Olympics. And one of the strongest logos for me, I'm not saying the most beautiful, but one of the strongest, is the one for Sydney 2000. The logo for Sydney in 2000, the athlete that is in in the logo, it's made out of boomerangs. And not many other countries have boomerangs. And the flame is the Sydney, it has the the shape of the Sydney's opera. So when I'm talking about USB, something very specific, I, I see that logo and I say, well, this logo couldn't have been done for Paris, or Ecuador, or anywhere else because it has boomerang and it has the opera. So I'm trying them to not to be very generic with things. I'm trying them to be very specific for designing logos.
0: Mm -hmm. That's a really good way of explaining, actually, to use the Olympics because you're right that, um, with the exception of a couple like the London 2012 Olympics, which was a little bit out there, uh, a lot of the time Olympic logos really do kind of embody everything that that country has to stand for and and it uses particular monuments and uh it's it's also a good example because you can't force your own ideas on it it's easy to understand that okay if i'm creating an olympics logo for paris what is special about paris <laughs> what what is unique about paris how can i create something that looks like it's the embodiment of Paris and uh that that makes it a lot easier to understand the the right way to design a logo so I love that example I just want to take a really short break to mention the logo designers box set which is a set of six ebooks that I put together to help you through the logo design process it's totally free to download and it covers the tools you need uh, creating a logo design brief advice for coming up with ideas presenting logos creating files for your clients and finding your own clients too. So you can download that for free just by heading to boxset.logageek.uk. Now that is in exchange for your email address to sign you up to my newsletter. So if you do want to be kept up to date with what's happening with the Logo Geek podcast and other things I'm doing around Logo Geek, do head to boxset.logageek.uk to download that and sign up. So that is it. Let's get back to the interview. So um, you taught a lot of students. Yeah. And students, as expected, they, they should, um, because it's new to them, they'll be making some mistakes. Yeah. What are some of the common mistakes that you see that are being made when students are working on logo designs for the first time?
1: Okay. So I have to admit, I love and I push for students to make mistakes. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying. I'm trying my best for them to make mistakes at the beginning. So then we can start explaining what's the whole thing about, you know. And the classroom is the perfect place for them to make mistakes. Um, I have this theory because when I teach uh, at SVA or other classes, I teach logo. I, I, we, we do editorial. We do animations and stuff like that. I want students to understand that to design a logo is the hardest thing in design. So they understand that they're going to be facing their hardest challenge. Um, and the good thing is that when you point out the mistakes that they're making, uh, they don't do them again. So they're very, very fast learners. And the, their mistakes are the, the expected. The, like I said before, they don't do they do not do the proper research. Um, and also now we have the tool of you know, people with responsive design, but many pe- many students create logos that I say to them, when you reduce them down, they're not gonna be legible at all. You have to figure out how to do that. So, and one of the most important things that I found was, you know, I my classes are always, you have to start drawing by hand, and then one day you convert everything into digital. And uh, this is a very, very hard lesson, or one of the hardest for students, to see how how could they convert um, something that has some soul that you know they, they did by hand they drew something beautiful to convert it into the digital world and the digital tools are not that friendly for them so that's that's I think one of the biggest things for them when they tra- convert their analog to digital logos
0: mm-hmm. yeah I agree with that it, it's um, sometimes I'll come up with ideas and so that. Listeners are aware, and you're aware. I always start on paper. There are a lot of designers now that might use tablets or whatever, you know, but I still prefer paper. I mean, for me, it's a nice way to get away from the computer screen. And um, I, I like that sometimes you can make accidents because I, t- I tend to scribble, I, I draw quite quickly. Uh, all I'm trying to do is just kind of get down my ideas on paper. And sometimes, i'll do a tiny little doodle or something and and i'm like that's it that that is the perfect logo you know that that's the one and then when it comes around to vectorizing that it's it doesn't work yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah and yes yeah, uh, you, you you kind of have to master these two skills so coming up with the idea is kind of just the beginning yeah. vectorizing that is the next challenge and uh personally i always use uh, an approach that I learned from, I think it was from Aaron Draplin, one of his training tutorials on uh, Skillshare. What he does is he will draw it and then copy it, and then tweak it and then copy it, and you keep all of the previous copies. But I find that is the most effective way to kind of work through that. So you still have your original. Like you, uh, like sometimes I'll take a photo with my phone and I'll send it over to my desktop and I'll place that in the background and I'll trace over it as a starting point I, I do that as a starting point it's like the raw idea is there but it needs developing further you you kind of need to keep tweaking it and seeing what could make it work and I think that's the best way of doing it the copy paste tweak modify it in some way explore different parts and and then you 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 can eventually get there but there are times when you just can't get the same magic from the idea that's yeah. on paper.
1: <laughs> Hardly, yeah, I agree with you.
0: Uh huh, uh huh. Now, I I would love to go into some other things that you've done. So, you was the president and chairman for the Type Directors Club. Yes, but now you're the Latin American liaison. So. I mean, I've heard of the Type Directors Club before. I've been on the website and so on. But for listeners, would you mind explaining uh, briefly what is the Type Directors Club? Of course.
1: Uh, the Type Directors Club is one of the oldest typographic clubs worldwide. It has, you know, it has been promoting type, typographic excellence for almost 75 years. And it's very interesting because going back in history, In the 40s, a group of art directors from J. Walter Thompson, BBDO, and Photo Lettering, uh, after spending a couple of years discussing their favorite topic, which was typefaces, they decided that they needed to change their titles. During those days, they were called type specifiers. And they felt, well, with that name, we're not going to go anywhere. And so in order to, or maybe it was related to salary also, I don't know. And in order to elevate their title, they decided to name themselves Type Directors. And in 1946, the Type Directors Club was founded. The club includes salons and its competition, which is named the world's best typography, where people from all over the world submit their work for a chance to be part of the book it's a very prestigious place to have your you know to win and to be part of the book but uh, I want to share a personal thing with the with the with you, which is how did I get involved with the class uh, with the club sure. I'm sorry sure I graduated in 1987 and I started working for an advertising design agency in New York and during those days without the computer we were basically specking type the whole thing was about specking clients will send us manuscript that we had to spec and determine you know the column width the length the typeface the size the lettering, et cetera, etc etc in order to do that we use books that would show us between you know like 3 to 400 typefaces and the way they look with the different lettings. so one day a former teacher of mine martin solomon who's a type directors club medalist told me that they should assist to the most important type event of the decade sponsored by the Type Directors Club. I have to admit that uh, when he told me the Type Directors Club and I heard that name, I'm thinking, wait, it, does it exist? Like I thought he was joking with the name Type Directors Club. I, you know, uh-huh. I, I, I never heard of it. So comes October and, I, and hundreds and hundreds of people are in the event and I spend two days going from one lecture to another and by the end of the event, I realized that most of the lectures were given by the people who designed the fonts that I was using. The same names on the books were the same names of the people that were presenting, and we didn't have social media. So I never thought that the ITC Bengiat was done by Ed Bang yet So I got to meet Ed Bengiat, Adrian Frutiger, Herman Saf. And the most stunning thing to me was that I realized at the end, I say I got to meet the face bef- behind the typeface. And the, that was very shock strong for me. And from that day on is when I decided to to join the type directors club.
0: I always find it amazing when you realize that typography, typefaces, fonts, and so on have been created by somebody. Yeah. <laughs> because it becomes, I mean, it's funny, like you, you read something in a book. And the actual uh, fonts are, it's kind of invisible because you just read the words. You, you, well, the average person, I know graphic designers, we all like to look at yeah. different fonts, but in general, it, it becomes slightly invisible and, and you forget that it's maybe one person or a, a collection of a group of people that actually created that uh, font. So I can appreciate why that was such a monumental moment for you, especially pre-social media because i think now it's because yeah. of like I- I instagram and so on it's it's easier to make that connection but i, I even at my age because i um i'm in my mid-30s when i grew up we didn't have the internet the the internet kind of came when i was in my uh teens yeah um <laughs> and uh yeah the world has changed a lot so i can imagine that was like almost like a mind-blowing moment that <laughs> no no and it's, these people made this
1: no and it's probably hard to for people to understand now what i'm saying but when you have a book with 300 names and and then you realize that ah oh, this person did this font or did it's mm-hmm. so, so you're blown away by that
0: oh yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely so you was and um, you, you've been involved with the type directors club for quite a long time now yes and you've been involved in judging and you've been involved in a lot of it so have there been any lessons that you've learned from being involved in that club that you would be happy to share with the audience
1: Um, of course Um, I have to say that I was never part prior to the type directors club I was never part of any other art association and you know the type directors club It taught me how to appreciate and respect type. It helped me uh, understand how much is involved to develop any typeface. And by doing that, I I learned the crime that I will commit when I start breaking the fonts, extending it, condensing it, and doing many different things like that. And that's one of the things. Then um, the club... What I like what they did is like during the nineties, they opened the doors to anybody who loved typography and they allow them to become members. Prior to that, you had to show some of your work in order to be admitted. And also one thing that the, you know, when, when you're part of the board of directors of the club, which was kind of like 12 years, you know, you get into any, every kind of discussion about the, the type, anything related to type, even though with some of the board directors, I will talk about football with them because I love football, but uh, we talk about typography a lot. But uh, the other thing that got me, uh, the the type got me to, to meet people from all over the world, amazing people, and then a lot of typographers. And I got to spend a lot of time talking about you know, learning, picking their brains. So I learned a lot from the Type Directors Club and I'm still doing. It.
0: That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So I'm gonna ask you one last question and uh this I don't know how long it will take to answer this one, but so you now run your own studio 40 N forty seven and um you're running that with your wife if I understand that correctly. Yes. How did this come into existence?
1: Well I'll tell you, during 2007, the the global economy went down, and at that time, I was the design director of MJM, which was a company that were creating internal events and launches like for American Express, IBM, Canon, Pfizer, and many pharmaceuticals. Just to give you an idea, we were 150 people on three floors on Fifth Avenue. during that, those years, we had m- massive layoffs and I was part of one of them. That's why, that's why that is when with my wife, Pamela, and I decided, Pamela, and I decided to start our own company. And what happened is one of our first assignments we got was to design the logo branding and wayfinding for three hotels in Peru. That's why I mentioned Peru a long time ago, because <laughs> I had to do a lot of research. So. I hired four of my students at Parsons and they did a great job, but strangely enough, I was their corporate teacher at Parsons and when I hired them to design the logos branding for my client, I did not realize it was going to take them that long time. So I realized, wait a second, students in schools are learning the classes, but the timing is really off because it takes them forever to design logos. And that's what motivated me to create my three-days workshop to design logos at real agency design studio time. So, you know, it's kind of like, okay, let's learn how to do a logo in three days. That's Believe it or not, it can be accomplished. We do it in the workshop. And and, and I'm not trying to say that it's not competing against the eight weeks that you spend at school learning branding and stuff like that, but it, it's a good exercise for students to know how to do it in three days and this is the thing those are the workshops with the students that uh, are asking me the questions for my book and that is the book in Kickstarter that you saw and the reason mm-hmm. for me being here so as steve jobs <laughs> will say it, it is all about connecting the dots ian
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you made a really good point then. I I think, um, uh, I mean, now, now I work for myself. I'm an independent. I don't hire anybody at the moment anyway. I I just work for myself. But when I worked for a web design agency, I was the creative director of that company and we would need to hire in students in the same way that, that you did. And Obviously, we would see their portfolio, what they were capable of doing, the way that they thought, and all of that was fantastic. But the first project you give them yeah <laughs> I'm used to doing stuff in like a day or yeah. like two or three projects in a day like you just kind of I used to joke that it was like flipping pancakes <laughs> so you know you get a project in you just need to get it out and that's, sadly that's the way it is in uh, agencies and you should have seen the look on these guys faces when they asked me <laughs> how long do we have I, I think they was expecting <laughs> me to say like three weeks it's like no no can can you get something by the end of the day and they're like, <laughs> they looked pale, like a ghost. Uh, I gave yeah. them a bit longer, but um, I think it was a shock for them. So, if there's students listening, whatever you're doing in university, you know, you're learning, but try to give yourself less time because I think <laughs> realistically, like you said, you're you're doing these projects in three days. Yeah. With my clients, um, you, you know. It, online i hear people saying that sometimes they spend six months on a project that is ridiculous realistically i probably allocate like two three days for a project you know come up with ideas one day next day start working on the vectors next day maybe putting a presentation together and um including time in there for putting them together but unless you're charging extortionate (laughs) amount of money you, there, there's no way that you're ever going to be given six months to work on a project that's totally unrealistic I, I think it's a ridiculous length of time to work on a logo design project yeah maybe you know the whole branding maybe larger projects that include like websites brochures catalogs guidelines all that sort of stuff yeah that that probably will take yeah um, a bit longer but just for a logo Sadly, you need to work quite quickly if you want to make some kind of income. <laughs>
1: yeah, and, and and also, it's not just the income. It's kind of like if you're working in an agency and there are like five designers like you, and it takes you two weeks to design a logo, and some other people are doing it in two three days. You know that you know you're not going to be their favorite for a long time. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, if, I think that schools will do students a big favor if they somehow. Create some special classes where they, they stop everything they're doing and they say, "Okay, the next three days or the next two days, you're designing this and see the reaction because it's it's not working." I have to say.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. So here today, am I right that you're? running your studio you're now an author and and are you doing these workshops as well so you're you're running the agency in tandem with doing these workshops
1: yes uh, you know the, the workshops give me some you know they they let me get free i really enjoy yes. this workshop and connecting with 20 30 students and i haven't done anything since the pandemic yeah yeah i understand but but it Actually, I I taught my class at SVA with the online, but in November, I think that I'm going to be teaching in Spain from here. Mm -hmm. So that's going to determine how much can I do with Zoom or with other Mm -hmm. platforms teaching these uh, classes.
0: Yeah, I understand. I mean, I think everyone's facing this challenge at the moment, especially anyone that's... um, runs events for a living there these businesses are having to adjust but it's good that you've got your your agency work coming in and uh hopefully once this is all cleared up what I would do is in the show notes I'll link to your Instagram and your website and then when when you're at a point where you can do these courses again um hopefully people will be able to be aware of it if they're following you in some way uh,
1: i would really appreciate that that would be fantastic to get in touch with people from all over the world again
0: sure you're very welcome so i'll make sure to short sort that i'll, I'll link in the show notes do you want to share like what what is your instagram
1: uh, uh, basically is um uh, it's diego vinesman design my name and the word design
0: Okay, okay, so I'll link to that in the show notes for anyone that doesn't quite know how to spell that. Okay,
1: that sounds perfect. (laughs) I don't even know how to spell it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's probably a good point to end the interview. We covered loads of stuff and it's been absolutely fascinating. So, thank you very much for your time and for coming on and for being. um a, a fantastic guest
1: Ian, thank you so so much for having me spend the time with you and to talk to all these wonderful people i appreciate it
0: if you enjoyed this episode let myself and diego know by giving us a shout out on social media i absolutely love hearing from listeners of this show and i know that diego will really appreciate that too so if you enjoyed it let us both know And if you want to learn more about Diego Vinusman, head to his website, 40n47design.com. Alternatively, go and check out the show notes for this episode where I'll link to that. I'll link to Diego's social profiles, links to books and resources that we mentioned in this interview, as well as a full transcription of the conversation too. So to find the show notes, head to Logo Geek. Dot UK forward slash 99. And if you're keen to discuss anything mentioned in this interview with me and 10,000 logo designers from around the world, make sure that you're in the Logo Geek community on Facebook. It's free to join and it's very active. So if you have any questions, you need any support or any help, post in there and you will get the help and support that you need so to find that just head to logogeek.uk forward slash community or just do a search on facebook for the logo geek community and you will find it that way so next week's episode is actually a landmark episode episode 100 I still can't quite believe that I've recorded over 100 episodes of this podcast so I'm incredibly excited about next week. Um, I am planning to do something a little bit different so I really hope that you'll be able to uh, join me to listen to that episode and celebrate uh, 100 episodes of the Logo Geek podcast with me. So that is it for this week and I hope to see you next week for the 100th episode of the Logo Geek podcast.